So as we talk about uh, Saul's psychic heart hotline, let me just say that years ago, uh, any of you who were raised in the 50s and 60s knew that we, we just dressed up in harmless costumes and went around and participated by going house to house for Halloween to get as much candy as possible. My brother and I took pillowcases and rode our bikes to every house in Central Park and we gained enough candy, gathered up enough candy to last us till Christmas every year. Since then though, things have changed a lot and now our culture has our kids dress up in costumes, go to safe places like downtown in the middle of the day because back uh, around the 70s, late 60s, uh, candy started being, people started putting drugs and things in the candy and so it wasn't safe anymore. How I many that's demonic, all right? So my heart is this, as we, uh, people ask me all the time, we shouldn't be in trunk or tree. Let me just say this, my heart is to be a light where darkness, wherever it is, and that we're going to try to, um, uh, what I would say, attack the gates of hell so that we can win as many people to Christ as we possibly can while we're here. Be a light for Jesus wherever you are. Now, forgive me if I rain on your parade or your love for Halloween, but you should also know Halloween is the second most celebrated day in our nation now. Darkness and Satanism, like Sandy said, is increasing. Tomorrow, 82% of America's kids will be involved in this event in public schools. 73% of America's adults participate in some kind of activity on this day and night every year. Altogether, tomorrow, America will have spent in excess of $10.6 billion celebrating this day. Now, Halloween, you need to know, originates uh, from paganism and Druid worship. It's the most sacred day of the year for Satanists and witches and Luciferians and Thelema worshipers, which some of you don't know what that is, but those are all forms of demonic worship. It is the origin of pentagrams, hexagrams, and inverted crosses. In other words, symbols that are anti-Christ originate from Satanism. So you need to know the occult is very dangerous, and I believe you should never open the door to demons through Ouija boards, seances, palm reading, fortune telling, telling mediums, witches, warlocks, uh, which lead, and psychics, which lead to uh, what I would call satanic worship. Now, with all that in mind, there's a story about a king named Saul who became the first king of Israel, and he started out very humble. And I, I, I believe this sermon is more for probably believers, uh, but we'll turn it towards unbelievers at the end. But I, I just want you as a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, beware what kind of conduct you involve, your, involve yourself in. This guy started out hearing the voice of God through a prophet named Samuel. He heard God's voice through scripture. He heard God's voice through the high priest that was stood in the uh, place of God. And through circumstances, he heard God's voice. And I want you to know today that God wants to talk to you. And uh, one of the basic tenets of scripture is that God reveals himself by talking to us in different ways. And all through the Bible, we see the phrase, and God said. 
So you and I were created to love God, know God, and know his purpose for our lives, and he wants us to know him just like he knows us. So in order for that to take place, you have to talk to him, and he has to talk to you, all right? Now, you, you have to have communication, and without communication, there is no relationship. The problem with communication is that it can be misunderstood. When Lois is talking to me, two things happen that make it difficult. The first one is, I don't always hear. The second problem is, what I do hear, I don't always understand. And after 47 years, it's gotten lots better, but I still don't hear or understand as well as she would like me to, all right? Now, for you men that are young and thinking about getting married, and for those of you who are newly married, I want you to know there are two things you need to know about women. The problem is nobody knows what they are. So what I'm trying to say is you will all be learning to listen always and learning to understand the the rest of your married life. It's the same kind of thing with God. And I want you to know that the longer you know him and the longer you learn his, uh, hear his voice, the relationship with God becomes better and better as you recognize it. After 47 years of marriage, when Lois calls me, she doesn't have to say, hi, this is Lois. She doesn't have to do that. I know her voice. And besides that, I have call identification. (laughs) I definitely know her voice, and she knows mine. And after walking with God over 60 years, I can say most of the time I recognize his voice. And I know when he's telling me to do something or not do something or directing me with different thoughts that he puts in my life. Now, 1 Samuel 28 It's the beginning of King Saul's last 48 hours of his life. Samuel the prophet, who was God's spokesman uh, spokesman to to Saul, has passed away. It says in verse 3, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had had lamented for him, and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. So King Saul showed great leadership by you know, stand for God, no matter what else anybody else thought, he said, we're removing these folks from our land because we're making God first and removing that kind of worship from the land of Israel. And just so you know, the mediums, psychic spiritists, the business in America today has grown into a multi-billion dollar business in the U.S., and it's continuing to grow faster than most Christian churches. According to a Newsweek article in 2021, There are over 1.5 million active witches in the U.S., not counting warlocks, satanic covens, and satanic churches. So Satanism is growing at a faster rate than many mainline uh, denominations. And you know how they're growing? They're growing through young people that used to go to church. They're growing. These young people have become disenchanted, disillusioned with their faith because they're not seeing the power of God in their lives and they're promised quick fixes so they turn to this type of worship instead of Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus is the only one who knows your future because he created you and determined your purpose for your life. Verses four and five. Then the Philistines gathered together 
and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Now, you need to know, here's this man. He's, he's been in, uh, king for 40 years. He's fallen away from the Lord. I'll get into that more in a little bit. But as he's fallen away from the Lord, he can't hear God's voice anymore. And when that happens, you give in to fear. You give in to all sorts of trembling. So you can write this down. Uh, if you fall into fear or give in to fear, it will cause you to run to the wrong thing. It tells us that he was greatly afraid and he was full of fear. Second Timothy tells us in 1.7, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. And timidity means he has not given you a lack of courage, a lack of faith, and a, a life of no confidence. He's not given that to us, but he's given us power, love, and self-discipline, or a sound mind, ability to make good decisions through the Spirit of God. And you know God's voice, when you know God's voice in your life, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, I'm telling you, you can think and make decisions clearly because of the Spirit of God that's within you. But this king is full of fear, a man that once knew the voice of God, is now controlled by a spirit of fear, which, by the way, is called a spirit because it's a demon. You need to know that. Fear is a demon, and it's trying to get control. He, Saul, is trying to get control and power back any way he can, and this is how fear works. He goes on to say in verse 6, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So after serving God all these years, chosen by God to be Israel's king, he can't hear God's voice anymore. Verse 7 says, Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, somebody who can talk between the spirit world and hear, that I may go to her and inquire of her. So he's outlawed this very type of worship, what was interesting to me in those is that two of his men knew where they were. And, and servants said to him, his servants said to him, in fact, there's a woman who's a medium at Endor. So Saul has this idea that I will go see this medium. I heard a pastor say the other day, when the devil gives you an idea, we call that temptation. When God gives you an idea, we call that inspiration. When you and I get an idea, that's called stupidity. <laughs> Just kidding, but it's kind of true. Unless it's God's idea, it's probably not going to be a good one. So Paul has this idea to go to a medium. <clears throat> Let me give you some reasons why people turn to mediums or psychics or witches, all right? There are several reasons. The first one's not on your notes, but you might want to write this down. They turn to them because they don't know God's voice anymore or maybe they never knew God's voice. So they're desperate for answers. Here's, here's a, uh, the other reasons. Number one, they, they want to speak to a relative or friend or loved one who's passed away. I talked to somebody right after the last service who came up to me and said, my son passed away and I was desperate to talk to him. So I went to a, a medium, a psychic, a witch, to see if I could call this son of mine up from the dead and hear his voice. And she said, uh, the medium never once talked about her son, never once brought him up, never said anything, 
didn't do anything that that person promised. And I'll tell you more about that. I just want you to know, be careful what you think you're going to get. Number two, they have a question about their career, love life, or financial matters. Number three, they need guidance and counseling about their life. So number four, they need help or assistance in making a decision. And number five, they're looking for love. And you might add on there, in all the wrong places. <laughs> Listen, there are all those same questions are why we come to know Jesus Christ. And Satan is a great counterfeit. He makes everything look like it's real, like it's God, but it's not. It's fake, it's phony, and don't go there. So Saul's lost his relationship with the Lord, and God's not speaking to him anymore, and he's desperate. Verse 8 tells us, so Saul dis- disguised himself, put on other clothes, and he went to two men with him, took two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. Do you know why you do things at night? because usually they're wrong. So he goes to the woman and he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. So this king that one time knew the Lord, was close to the Lord, he's he's now uh, turning to a source that he outlawed from the land of Israel. Verse nine, then the woman said to him, "Uh, look, you know that Saul is, what Saul has done how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul, listen how he, now he says, so Saul swore to her by the Lord saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come up on you for this thing. This amazes me. He knows he's the authority of God, so he's speaking on God's behalf, even though he's not honoring the authority that appointed him. Verse 11, then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. I think she went, ah, she shrieked. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me for you are Saul? So she's shocked, she's surprised. And by the way, you'll find this out. Most of these spiritists, they're dealing with demons and the real thing came up, shocked her. And then verse 13, and the king said to her, do not be afraid, what did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit sending it out of the earth. Now that would have been enough to me to go, I'm wrong, I'm out of this place, I'm turning to God, I'm falling on my knees, I'm saying, Lord, forgive me. But verse 14, so he tells her not to be afraid. Apparently his heart is so hard that he doesn't even care anymore. Verse 14, so he said to her, what is his form? And she also said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And the mantle represented the prayer mantle, prayer shawl, the prophetic anointing on his life. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Just so you know, he should have been bowing down to God, not him. But here's point number two which I think you need to remember this. When you can't reach God, God can still reach you. God can still interrupt the seance. God can still show up at the tarot card reading. God can show up at the fortune teller because if you want God, if there's anything left in you, he will show up, he will break through, and he did in that situation. And I just want you to know he can hijack any demonic ritual going on. But you need to repent. That's the why he shows up. So, and you need to know this. I was in New Orleans 
several years ago, walked into a shop, and there were all these shops going on, and this guy comes running up to me, and I was with another guy, and he goes, you need to go to that lady, have her read your, your, uh, your, your fortune, she's a fortune teller, she told me, she, she changed my life, and I said, how did she change your life? And he said, well, she told me lots of things that, that, that were true. And I said, she told you about your past, didn't she? And she was, you know, just right there waving me on to come. And I said, she told you about your past. And he goes, I said, did she tell you about your future? And he just kind of looked at me like, not really. I said, she only knows your past. She can't tell you your future. I said, you need to know the only one who can tell you your future is Jesus Christ. And the fortune teller started yelling at me, screaming at me, and kicked me out of the store. But at least I got Jesus into the guy who thought she knew better than him. Anyway, all that to say, just so you know, Jesus should bring you to your knees when you're in these kind of situations. So, uh, verse 15, so Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Now, how does Saul go from hearing the voice of God uh, consistently for his first probably 10, 15 years of his reign. And remember, he reigned for 40, some say 42 years. But in that time, the voice of the Lord gave him direction uh, for several years uh, to, to hear the voice of God. Now he's not hearing it anymore at all. So, I mean, how did this man go from being handpicked by God, which you need to know you're all handpicked by God, Samuel poured oil on his head and anointed him as the first king of Israel. He was affected by that anointing so much that he began to prophesy with the prophets, hear the word of the Lord, and it says he changed into a different man. That's what happens when the Spirit of God comes in your life, comes on you. And he worshiped like never before. And he danced and he sang with the prophets and declared God's word. And began to hear the voice of God and God's presence transformed him. But now, 40 years later, this man who had experienced God's anointing, calling, his joy, and and his presence has now turned to the prince of darkness and called the psychic hotline, the one that he outlawed, by the way. And he's gone to her. He's gone to her place. He enters into this cave, and he turns this cave into a satanic place of worship. And there he turns and says to Samuel, God has departed from me. To me, there's no worse words to hear than that. He won't speak to me anymore in dreams or by prophets anymore at all. And in verse 6, it mentioned that he didn't speak to him anymore by Urim and Thummim. Uh, just so you know, Urim and Thummim were, there was a breastplate on the, on the priest that had 12 stones on the front of it. Those 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. At the very top, was a stone, big stone here and a big stone over here called Urim and Thummim. And so when a king needed an answer for something, had a question for God that was yes or no, like should I pursue my enemies? Should I go after them? Whatever it might be, that the priest would go into the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah glory would shine and God would touch one of those stones and when the priest came out, uh, the, the king would know a yes or no answer. 
But when Saul went to the, the high priest this time, God didn't answer. He went, into the, he went into the Holy of Holies and came out, and there was nothing on the Urim or Thummim. So this is what you need to hear. All means of divine guidance had dried up, and he couldn't hear the voice of God anymore. So here's how our enemy works to remove God's voice from your life. You need to hear this. Number one, disobedience will distance you from God. It always does. So when Saul first became king, one of his strengths is that he was courageous in battle. He did not fear Israel's enemies because he knew God was with him and he was doing what God had told him to do. He was also a generous king. He was generous like his God. And so he was admired and respected by the people. But then Saul started becoming confident in himself. He began to believe that he knew more than God knew. He began to believe that he was as smart as God and he became impulsive and started acting unwisely. By the way, the enemy will get you to think you are as smart as God. And as a king, Saul disobeyed God's instructions, not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. He trusted himself at every crisis decision instead of doing what God had told him to do. By the way, he knew what God told him to do, and yet he still disobeyed, all right? Which led to, on your notes, you can write this down, deception. See, deception, well, Satan will trick you into believing lies. Like, here's, here's the way it works. Let's just say, Josh, would you stand up? Let's say he's Jesus, okay? <laughs> Doesn't he look like Jesus? Okay, Josh, I want you to say my name. Just Doug. Doug, yeah. Just say, say it normal, Doug. Doug. Yeah. And he says, Doug, I'd like you to spend more time in uh, attending church just because it'll strengthen you. And I say, ah, well, church, does, it doesn't matter. Keep saying my name, by the way. Yeah. And I'll say, it doesn't really matter. Church won't get you to heaven. But he says, I still think you need to be in fellowship with believers. It'll strengthen you. Say my name again. Doug, I want you to spend more time in prayer. Yeah, I know, but, you know, I'd rather do other things. Lord, it takes too much time to pray. And besides, I'm not really sure you're hearing me anyway. Okay, uh, Doug, thank you. He's saying, Doug, I want you to spend more time in the Word. Now, I want you to know, the more I say no, his voice is just talk normal. What? See, I, it's getting further away. And I want you to know that's the way it is with all of us. The more you say no to God when you know what he's told you to do, the voice of God becomes more distant. Give Josh a big hand. Give Jesus a big hand. His wife's probably going to say, don't let that go to your head, Josh. So you begin to make your own choices without reading God's word, without prayer, without being fellowship with other believers, without getting wise counsel. And once you walk down that road, pride comes in as well. And then when pride begins to take over, once pride enters in, God begins to resist you. That's what happens. Same goal is to make you ineffective as a Christian and as a, as a, as a warrior and as a battle maiden if he can't have his goal you've heard me say this before his goal is to make you a pow 
His goal is to make you a prisoner of war. What's a prisoner of war like? They wear the uniform, but they have no power. They have no authority. They're bound up. They're, they're in strongholds and they're in jails and they're, they're put in prison. So what happens when you become stubborn, rebellious, and prideful, and you keep saying no to God, 1 Samuel 15 tells us that is the sin of witchcraft. I want you to hear this. When you think you know more than God and you keep saying no to God and you keep saying, I know better, I can do it my way, and God, besides, here's what a lot of Christians say. Well, God's so forgiving. I can do whatever I want and he'll just forgive me. You can do that for so long. And then eventually, you're way down there and God's voice is here and you're not hearing it anymore because you've told God, no, 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 and the sin of witchcraft is entered into your life. But let me say this. Obedience brings unlimited blessing on your life. Obedience will bring unlimited blessing on your life. I don't have time to go through this, but you should look up Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 is the chapter of blessing and cursing. And the first 14 verses tell you, if you obey God, you'll have his blessing on the right side, on the left side, in front of you and behind you. Whatever you do, God will bless it and he'll pour out his spirit upon you and he'll cause you to be prosperous in all that you do. But then he says in verse 15, but if you turn your back on God, He says this, then the enemy will come in and begin to devour everything that you've planted, everything that you've done. And in one verse, in that last part of the chapter, it says, you will go stark raving mad. That's what happens when you start disobeying God. Little acts of obedience bring unlimited blessings on a person's life. So as you read that chapter, you can see that over and over again. But here's the thing. When God moves out of a person's life, Satan moves in. So when Saul walked into that witch's cave, demons moved in and began to torment his mind from that hour on. The power of Satan broke him emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And he went from being a strong, powerful leader, an amazing warrior with clarity of vision and direction for his life, and for the nation that he was leading to a man of brokenness, mental confusion, and mental anguish to where he came to the point where he turned from God and turned to a witch. And those same demons, I want you to hear this, those same demons are being unleashed and released upon the nation of the United States. They're coming over this generation like never before. Emotional distress in our youth all the way up. I'm telling you, mental brokenness uh, is coming and confusion like I've never seen before. And we're talking about mental insanity, mental, uh, what do we call it? Mental illness. And it's coming like crazy. I'm telling you, there's a fine line between mental illness and demonic possession. Okay? And identity, uh, a confusion has been released over this nation. And I, I, I may get in trouble for saying this, but if you were born a male, you're a male. If you were born a female, you're a female. You can say what you want, but if your mom hadn't stayed being a mom, you would not be here. And your dad being a dad or whatever, okay. All right, I won't preach on that one now. But. And so what's happened, when that happens, a nation and people become spiritually bankrupt. 
All right, so this generation needs to know you can't have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of everything else. And that's what Cindy was talking about. You need to consecrate everything in your life to the Lord. If not, your disobedience will lead to deception and then your enemy will use distraction. Now, here's how, there are a lot of other things that the enemy uses, but let me just say how he uses distraction. Saul was anointed king and he should have been doing kingly business like pushing back the powers of the enemies and defeating them. But instead, he became jealous over a man named David because David killed Goliath and he heard the little girls or the ladies of the land singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And he became jealous of David and spent almost his entire kingly kingship chasing a man that had no bearing on his kingship. So he wasted 40 years almost of his life chasing David when he should have been chasing the devil. And I want you to hear this. He was fighting the wrong enemy and he was fighting David out of jealousy because he was fighting the wrong enemy. The real enemy was allowed to rise up and destroy him. I want you to hear this, you guys. When you're chasing the wrong thing. Some of you have been chasing offense and hurt and jealousy and some relationship you shouldn't be in and the next thing you know, you've wasted your entire life chasing and fighting something that had nothing to do with God's will and call on your life. I'm preaching better than your amen to me, I'll tell you that. All right. So the enemy distracted him and they missed their true calling to lead. First, how did he do it? First Peter tells us. The, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. He became a counterfeit. And he, he makes you think he's bigger than he really is. And so he tempts us into obedience, uh, disobedience and deception and distraction. And 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us we need to beware of the devils or not to, not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, which often we are. And I want to equip you to know your, your, the devices of your enemy. And this is the way this chapter ends, verses 16 through 18. Then Samuel said, why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom of your hand and given it, uh, kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Now, and here's why. Because you did not obey the voice of of the Lord, nor execute his fierce, fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. And by the way, the next day Saul went into battle and he and his sons lost their lives. Now, I want you to hear this. Listen, Saul wouldn't obey God and Samuel told him in chapters previously and he reached out to grab Samuel and tore his, his robe. And, and years earlier, uh, Samuel turned and looked at him and said, today, the Lord has torn this kingdom from you. He didn't tell him who, but now he's telling him it's David. And so through that, Saul in his desperateness went to everything other than God. Now, Amalek was a type of our flesh uh, in the Bible, and they were told to destroy it. But here's what happens to most of us. We come to know God and we say, God, I just want to keep this little bit back for you. And you can have all the rooms of my heart but this one. 
And I want you to watch a video right now that I don't think you'll get bored with about how to know the voice of God and not compromise. Watch this. I was in Alaska doing a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. The pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here and I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it. And I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up and it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're gonna. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently and we start climbing and it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing and we flew probably three, four minutes and something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head and he starts mumbling and he passes out, passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you gotta wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, tell we don't know nothing. Tell him we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell him that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm gonna get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we gotta do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not going to obey my voice, you're going to die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. 
Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're going to crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice. Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand? Without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage. And there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm. Just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die. But I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747 started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're going to make it. But listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices. And everybody in this world wants to talk to you. And everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm going to line you up. He said, I'm going to bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop. And the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room at about four in the morning. The knock at my door. And I opened the door and a man was standing there. He said, hello, David. He said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through.
Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through. A living sacrifice, holy. I have one last point I want to make. You can write this down if you want. Repentance will return you to God's presence and to hearing God's voice again in your life. That word repent means to turn around and it means to return. So Josh, <clears throat> you stand up one more time. We're, oh, Josh is in the drum cage. Who's, who's down there? What, the guy down there with the baseball hat on? Yep, you can stand up. Say my name. It, Doug, thanks, you know my name. That's good. So here's the way it is. You've said no to God, but it's never too late. As long as you're breathing, as long as you're, I say every day above ground is a good day. If he says my name, I'm going to turn and say, I got to get back to the Lord. I return. I come back. I turn back to him. I say, Lord, forgive me for not paying attention to you. God, forgive me for not doing the things you told me to do. I know your way is right. I'm coming after you. And as I come after him, guess what? Doug. Doug. And guess what else? I'm by the cross. It's taking me home. Give him a big hand. Thank you. Let's stand. James 4 tells us this. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. It says submit to God. If you submit to God, he, he resists the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I like the way God says it. He doesn't mince any words. He says it like it is. And I just want to say this morning, like Sandy said, today's a day not only coming to know Christ, today is a day of consecration. Today is a day where you say, God, I'm coming to the altar. I'm giving it all to you. This is for believers and unbelievers alike. I'm saying right now as we sing to, to God, I'm opening up this altar and I'm telling you, come and give it all to him. Don't give a little bit. Give it all to him. Make him Lord of your lives.